Well, hello again and good evening, as well as hello to all of our church online around the world. Uh, if you're new here, I don't know if you know this, but you are part of an international community uh, of a couple thousand people that gather, not just in person, but literally around the globe, at least three different continents almost every weekend to, to hear God's word, to worship together. And um, I just, I want you to know it, it, it never is lost on us, just the privilege it is to be, to be able to serve at this church and the fact that we come and gather. And so thanks for being here. Um, it really does make our week. It's what we do. It's why we do this is to see you come in or join us online. And so we can connect and grow and be who God made us to be. So I know Mac already said it, but welcome to Cape Christian. And, and if you are new, uh, if you're new to, the, to, to our church, to the area, or definitely like exploring your faith, I would highly and strongly recommend you checking out the Alpha class. Those are the seat drops that we had uh, on, on the, uh, the chairs when you came in. It's, it's a lot of the basics of what does it mean to be a Christian, to follow Jesus? Who is Jesus? What's the Bible? Um, and plus, there's a free meal every week. That should, should still be enough reason. Somebody else is going to cook your meal and clean up after you. And so um, we got some great leaders. It's a great ministry. And um, and for some of you who are like, man, I, I like what I hear, but I want to know more. This would be a great thing to be a part of. So I would encourage you to check out Alpha. Now, I'm really excited because we're going to start a new series this week. We're planning on it being a five-week series. And, uh, and if you have ever read the Bible, um, then you would probably have noticed there's two parts of the Bible, the Old and the New Testament. And the New Testament starts with these four books called the Gospels, where it's the life and words of Jesus. Now, we believe here at Cape Christian that as important as the Bible is, it is Jesus that is absolutely the cornerstone of our faith, and the Bible points to Jesus. Okay, well, everybody should have said amen to that if you've been, okay, there, okay, okay, good. Um, and so um, we, we think the whole Bible can speak to us, and it's an amazing book, but we want to focus in on Jesus. And, and as somebody who's read those words many times, Jesus said and did some pretty intense, crazy things. And so we're going to take five weeks, and we have a series called That's What He Said, uh, because we're going to look at some of those crazy, intense things Jesus did and said and really ask the question, did he really say that? And what did he mean? We say often here at Cape Christian, in order to know the words of the Bible, it helps to know the world of the Bible. As much as we want to know what the Bible says, we're ultimately interested in what does the Bible mean uh, so that we actually apply it in the correct way. Can I get an amen to that? Yeah. Which, by the way, if you're new here, if, if something agrees with you, like, oh, I feel something like you can say dilly dilly hooty hoo, amen, like preach it, brother, whatever, whatever works for you. So, so we're going to do a five-week series, and I'll tell you, we're going to dig into some stuff that we don't want to be one of those churches that just takes our favorite passages and highlights the feel-good stuff and skips some of the other stuff that's maybe... We want to wrestle with every part of who Jesus was, the Bible was, and what it means for us, because as we do that, we become fully mature, well-rounded disciples and followers of Jesus. Hootie-hoo, dilly-dilly, amen. Okay, good. All right. Um, and so we're going to start with that's what he said, but I got to tell you this. Before we get into any of this, because we're going to look at some, some tough stuff, some, wow, that's, that's kind of crazy. I want to tell you that if the only way I'm comfortable introducing this series is in order for us to dive into this, you have to know probably the most important teaching I've ever done in my life and from this stage was during our Blueprint series, my first year here in October of 2018. Um, the very first week of the Blueprint series was a, a message called Covered in Dust. 
It is about the education system and the rabbinical system of which Jesus grew up in. It was how they chose disciples, and it, was, it helps really understand the world and context of Jesus. I'm actually so confident this one message will shape or reshape the way you see the entire Bible, especially the Gospels. If you've heard the Bible before, you will rethink it. If you've never heard it, I can't think of a better way than to introduce it this way. I'm gonna give you like a two-minute snapshot of, of the most important part, but we are gonna put this up, feature it on the app this week. We're gonna boost it on Facebook. So I would really encourage all of you to watch or re-watch this. And if you've been here less than three years, you weren't here, that message about the world that Jesus grew up in, it's gonna make all the things that you kind of don't make sense of go, Oh, that makes so much sense. For example, a couple things you need to know, and then we'll d jump into this, is the, in Jesus's culture, he was Jewish, but they were under the Roman, the Roman Empire. In the Jewish culture and community, they didn't have celebrities, and they didn't have doctors and lawyers. There was one position that was the most honored, the most revered, the most important, the most prestigious position, and there was one building that was the most important building, and there was one text that was the most important text. And that was the rabbi was the most important person in the community, the teacher, the synagogue or the temple or, or the tabernacle was the most important building. And the, the words of the Old Testament or the Bible, the scrolls were the central of their education. There was no like, I'm gonna be a doctor or a lawyer or fisherman or tax collector. Everybody, only boys could be rabbis uh, back then, but everybody wanted to have kids whose boys grew up to become rabbis. And if you made it, you were the elite. There was no like, let me pray about this. I'm gonna miss my mom and dad. I was gonna take over the family business. That was the echelon. But very, very few people became rabbis. They had three levels of schooling, and most everybody did the first level from ages six through 10, where they memorized part of the Old Testament, and then they were done, and they went and worked at home, plied their trade, helped their dad with the fishing or the construction or, the, or whatever the case may be. If you were elite, you would go on to the second one, and if you were the very, very, very best of the best after two phases, you could then apply to a rabbi, and for the sake of a really short argument, similar to how you apply to college. Like you would say, I want to follow you. I want to be your follower or your disciple. But it wasn't just an application. It was days of interaction, questions and answers because every rabbi had one question in mind. And this was the driving question for every rabbi. Not, oh, do they have aptitude or do they have some gifts and skills? Could they make our basketball team go all the way? No, it wasn't like that then. Their one question was, I'm gonna die at some point, but I want my interpretation and understanding of God's word for our community to live on past my life, to create legacy. So the question is, can this student or can this disciple be exactly like me? Do they have what it takes to almost, you wouldn't even know if it was me or him, if they follow me long enough and close enough and understand me and mimic me long enough, can they be like me? And if the answer was no, they would say, go and ply your trade. But if the answer was yes, they would say two really powerful words. And those words were, follow me. And that wasn't just like, okay, I'll think about it. That was like stamp of approval. You're in, you're the best of the best. If that happened to your kids, they're like, they're gone. They're gonna go be rabbis. And it would be 14, 15, 16 years of following a rabbi. And then at about age 30, you would go have your own ministry, which is super interesting. At what age did Jesus show up on the scene? age 30. So he went through this. So really fascinating. I don't want to give, but you have to know that because I want to start with a really important thing Jesus says. We're going to break down one little idea. Is that really what he said? And is that really what he meant? But you have to know the dust covered in the dust blueprint message. You have to know that to understand that what made Jesus different than every other rabbi in the history of the Jewish system, which is documented, the Talmud, the Mishnah, there's all kinds of resources, is he's only one of two rabbis ever. Rather than have uh, disciples come apply to him, he went and sought out other boys and asked them to follow him. 
And the fact that he went and sought out other boys meant he found the boys that weren't good enough to be with any other rabbi. So, he already, so Jesus made his ministry and his legacy on choosing the B team, the left out, the not good enough that didn't make it. And oh, by the way, they were all teenagers except for Peter. So when you read about the disciples and when I make all those jokes, I'm not kidding, they were dumb teenage boys, um, which is why they're always fighting and stuff. So Jesus does that. And so he believes, so you have to know, before we get into some, some crazy stuff Jesus didn't said, you have to know, Jesus believes if you give him enough room in your life and your heart, you can be just like him. And if he didn't, he would never invite you to be his disciple. And I'll break that down for 35 or 40 minutes. It's really good. I promise. Uh, If you hate it, I'll give you your 40 minutes back at some point. I don't know how that works, but we'll do it. So, uh, so we, so that's the reason we asked this week on social media, what's one of the craziest things Jesus said. And I didn't know you all were going to lie. Uh, nobody actually answered the question. Y'all made up stuff like he lived in America in 2021. I wanted to know. So look for some of our social media questions. And it was like, y'all gonna make me lose my mind up in here. No, he never said that. That's not in the Bible. (laughs) Either that or you've gotten too used to my style of teaching because I may have said he said something like that at some point. So we're gonna look at what it says, but we're gonna look at what it means. And, and so Jesus was known as somebody who was unlike any other man. He had lots of people following him. He did miracles. He taught. He was inspiring. He added value. He, he added dignity. He was unlike anybody else. And so regularly, people would flock to him so much that he was never unclear about what it meant to be his follower. He never left it up. And he actually said some of his harder things with his biggest crowds. Most of us, we would have our most inspiring messages with our biggest crowds. And he was like, hey, I want everybody to follow me, but like, here's what the deal is. And so I want to start there this week as we just unpack the start, this five week series. And it's not all going to be specific things. He said, there's going to be some things he did as well. And this is actually recorded in all four of the gospels. So there's lots of accounts of this type, this exact thing that Jesus said. And so regularly crowds would come to him and and this was a common thing. And so he says this in, in John and Matthew and Mark, Luke. And I want to look at the Mark version. Mark chapter eight says this. It says, then he called to the crowd then he called the crowd him to him along with his disciples, and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He goes on in verse 35, says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will actually save it. And then in verse 36, he says this, what good is it for someone to gain the entire world but forfeit or lose their soul? Let's pray. God, I pray that you would make these simple words come alive in our heart. I can't do it adequately, um, but your Holy Spirit and the Word can. So I pray that you would speak to us as your dearly loved children and motivate us and compel us to be who you made us to be in Jesus' name. And if you agree, say, that's what's up. So let's just look at this because there's four things I just want to key in on here. First of all, let's go back to um, let's go back to verse 34. So first, the, the intro part of this, he says this, he called to the crowd. He has this crowd. First thing he does, if you know the history, he says something no rabbi would have ever said. He says, hey, 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 be like being up here, be like, hey, if anybody wants to be my disciple, stop. No, that's not how it goes, Jesus. We interview the best of the best, only the boys, the elite, the Jews, the perfect ones. What do you mean if anybody wants to be? You, you can't just open your arms to the whole world, to which Jesus said with his life, watch me. So first, you have this radical rabbi going, hey, if you want to be an disciple, like, wait a minute, I already applied. Because if I'm in that crowd that day, I'm going, I already applied to them all. And they all said the same thing. You have a nice personality, but you will not be my disciple. 
You may be good at other things. I think you'd be great helping your dad build sheds. You know what I mean? Like that would be what they, that would be the stuff they would say. You're really good at fishing, less good at memorizing Bible. You know, like that's, that's it. So he, all of a sudden he has this crowd. He's like, hey, if anybody wants to be my disciple, like this open invitation, this radical, are you talking about women? Are you talking about children? Are you talking about foreigners? What about people who didn't grow up Jewish? What about the uncircumcised? What about, what about all the people that we've kept out of our little thing? He's like, anyone. So the invitation to Jesus is anyone can be his disciple, which is super compelling. So he's like, hey, if you want to, I mean, if you're in the audience, I know for us, we're like, hey, thank you for explaining that. But if we're in that audience that day, we're like, what? And it would have been something like, did he really say that? I'd be like, yep, that's what he said. But he wanted to be really clear that he's like, this is an open invitation to everybody, but not everybody may accept it because there is a cost. And so he says, here's what you would need to do to be my disciple. Three things. He says, if you want to, the door is open. All are welcome. Welcome home. But you have to deny yourself. You have to take up your cross. And then you have to follow me. If you go jump to the Luke, um, the one in Luke, because Luke adds a detail. Luke was a doctor, so he would add a detail that Mark didn't. Mark was not very detail-oriented if you read the Gospels. Luke adds this word. Jesus said in one account, you must take up your cross daily. Now, this is really important because this is more than a one-time decision at a prayer retreat or a men's conference or kids camp or even church. It probably started there, but then the next day it was like, okay, here I'm again. Okay, here I'm again. Okay, here I'm again. And so I just want to talk about those three things and ask the question, what did he really mean? Because I think when you understand what he means, it makes the invitation even more compelling, but also very straightforward. And so first thing he said is you have to deny yourself. Now, When he said deny yourself, I want to clear this. What did he mean? What he didn't mean was literally sacrifice your entire life. Like you don't eat, you don't live, and you become a doormat. You don't have a place to to, to take care of your kids. He didn't say completely deny yourself of the things that you need. What he's talking about is actually something more spiritual. And he's, he's connecting the entire Old Testament to him. So the story of the Bible starts with uh, Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis. And God says, I've created this perfect system, but it relies on you trusting me. And if you do, everything will be good. There will be no evil. But if with your own free will, you choose to decide what's best and good and evil for yourselves, you will then suffer the repercussion of your own decisions. It didn't take long in the book, three chapters. They did that. They took the fruit. And when that happened, this thing called sin entered the world. It was, for whatever reason, we were protected from it before then. And now sin has entered the world. And so our mind, our heart, our makeup is we as people are born into a sin slavery. We are literally born into sin. There's no way around it. We have this flesh. The Bible calls it flesh. And when it says flesh, it doesn't mean you know, brown or black or white skin. It means, it means a sin nature that is selfish, selfishly motivated, that goes against the will and nature of God and really wants what it wants. Amen. And the more you feed that sucker, the louder and hungrier it gets. And so it's like this idea of the sin nature. And so when he says, uh, when he says deny yourself, he's actually talking about our most core, carnal, selfish, sinful desires. If you're with me, still say yeah. yeah. Okay, that's at least five people, so I'm gonna keep going. Um, I'm going to pretend like all the people online were like, yeah, which you can type that in. Um, so, but then Jesus shows up and he says, Hey, I know you're literally born into slavery. It's the best picture the Bible gives is being born into slavery. You didn't, you didn't earn it or do anything at the beginning. You were literally born into it. So Jesus is like, well, you need freedom. You need a savior. You need to deliver. I will be that. And so anybody who chooses to receive him 
we get to come out of that. And so it's like this. So go ahead and go to the next one. So basically we have this sin nature, but now all of a sudden when we say yes to receiving Jesus in our life or making him the Lord, we now have this new mind of Christ. The Bible says old is gone, the new has come, but it doesn't mean that this automatically just stops being real. Your past is still your past. Your issues are still your issues. Your temptations, your lusts, your pains are still your pains. And so now what happens when we receive Jesus and we get born again or saved or whatever word you were taught growing up, then now you have this coexisting of this, this new Jesus coming into your sin nature and he wants to begin to renew your mind and make you like him, to make you the best version of yourself. And so when he's saying that, he's saying, I wanna invite you to allow my words, my way, my follow me, deny yourself your lusts and all of that because actually going back to the garden, if you do what I say, how I set it up, I actually know what's best for you. And so it's gonna trust God that he knows what's best more than follow my own desires, whether it be money or success or value or greed or identity or anger or sexuality or whatever it is that, that God's way, while it may go against my natural cravings and inclinations, is actually the best way. And so the more we wrestle that out, what starts to happen is this sin nature starts to die and the Jesus parts start to light up. And all of a sudden you get a little less angry and a little less selfish. And the more you read the Bible and the more you pray and the more you get around good Christian community and you start learning about it, you start acting more like Jesus and you're more patient and you're more kind and you apologize more and you're less greedy and you're more generous. And eventually the ultimate goal, and this I don't think this fully happens till we get to heaven, um, is what used to be the sin nature is, wow, now I'm so like renewed. I'm, it's, like, it's like there's so much God and Jesus in me only because I've made a habit of denying myself. Is this making sense? Yes. This is why the disciple, or the John the Baptist says in John 3, he says, I must decrease and he must increase. Amen. That's what he's talking about. It's why Paul says in his letters, it is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. This is the same picture and metaphor they're giving. I've made a life of denying myself. So they're not saying go without food, go without water, try to be hated and get in front of a firing squad. Like they're not actually saying that. So, but it's this spiritual, like denying my flesh. And, and it's interesting because if you think about it, at our core, at our natural inclination, and this is gonna be hard for some of you, but I wanna invite you to try to do this. If you think about before you learned the benefit of any good discipline in your life, like think of the five-year-old version of yourself or your kid, or maybe your neighbor's kid who you think is out of control. I don't know but not my kid. Don't think of my kids. I'll punch you in the face. <laughs> but they ain't perfect. I can tell you stories, but I won't because this is online. Um, well, Blake is. He just poops a lot, but whatever. Um, it doesn't always go where it's supposed to. Um, but if you think about it, most of what we naturally crave and are tempted to do and feel like doing is actually at odds with what's best for us in the long run. If we did a series a while ago that we said, ultimately, usually what we immediately want is in conflict with what we ultimately desire. Remember that? For example, um, think about, just to say, you're five years old, and every morning when you walk out, you have a breakfast fairy, and the breakfast fairy puts Ben and Jerry's butter pecan ice cream and scrambled eggs. And it's like, you don't have to teach a five-year-old which one to go to. That five-year-old every time is going, give me the Ben and Jerry's, where's the other pint, right? Now, you start to do that because that's what you crave. It's what you think you want. It's what you think you desire. But ultimately, we've learned that in the long run, is that what's best for you? No, no that kind of sugar, that kind of, and, and you need your, your proteins and all this. And so some of you are like, well, I would choose the eggs. No, you would not, liar. 
You have trained yourself to know that it's better to choose the eggs. You've just forgotten how good the ice cream really is. But you do follow my example. Let me give you a more real one. For centuries, and even around the globe to this day, polygamy was thought to be the best thing. There's been this idea, and it's coming back up in America, that we literally just can't control ourselves, and we should give ourselves physically and emotionally to whoever we want, multiple partners, multiple wives, multiple husbands, or whatever. And really, it was God, and then really, Jesus was the one who was like, Argh. he's like, no, let me tell you what's best. One man, one woman for life. You will experience intimacy. You will experience things that you can't experience. That will be ultimate value. That will be ultimate safety. It will be ultimate security if you do it the way that I'm meant to do it. So, so God is like, hey, actually, monogamy is best. Two people, what's best? But ultimately, think about if we, if, if we were actually able just to, if we just gave into our most carnal, selfish, self-indulgent, no consequences desires, Man, guys would be given their whatever away they had to to get the physical stuff. Girls would be given whatever they had to get away to get the emotional connection in the heart, generally speaking. And we would be just be throwing ourselves all over if we gave, every time I was tempted, I got to do this. Now, some of you were really awkward. Like, I didn't know we could talk about this in church. We need to talk about this in church. But you understand the, the example. It's like, in the moment, if we did what we thought, like, well, but this is just how I'm predispositioned. Well, yeah, we all are. We would just do that, but the problem is we would never have any meaningful relationship where any sort of intimacy was experienced, anything was shared, and we would miss out on the best part of, of a relationship where I have something so special with someone that the second isn't even close, yes. Amen. right? Yeah. Or with fitness, or I mean, or with money, same thing. And so all of, but but we live in a world that's like, well, you're just you're just you know you're kind of predispositioned that way. L listen. We all are predispositioned to be lazy, be greedy, be selfish, be lustful. Like you don't got. You don't have to teach a young kid how to do that. You have to teach him why not to, right? And so for us, there's this conflict of Jesus is saying, if you will deny that and understand that what you ultimately desire is on the other side of what I have for you, this is what following me is going to be. And so there's going to be this idea of a part of my actual carnal desire, hardwiring. And listen, all of us are wired different. Some of you, you could curse like a sailor without even trying. Like you're just predispositioned because the way you grew up. Some of you, like your temptation, it's not greed. It's not anything else. It's all in the sex bucket. Some of you, you're like, you're not really tempted with lust. But man, when it comes to lying and embellishing and selfish, like we all have our different wirings. But nonetheless, it's all that sin nature that Jesus is saying, I want you to deny yourself. And here's the coolest part. The more you deny yourself, the more room you create for him to be in you, Amen. which means you start to experience not the best you're capable of, but the best he's capable of producing in you. So really, the invitation to deny ourselves is, do you want your best or do you want God's best? And that's the compelling part of it because it has to be some sort of compelling because I, I, I want to lust and I want to overeat and I don't want to work out and I don't want to work and I want to steal the money I need to get the things I want and I want to feel entitled. Like, if we're honest with ourselves, that's all of us. And if you can't go there, you've forgotten. You're, you're a hypocrite. If sin wasn't enticing and tempting, we would all be like, ew. No, sin is amazingly appealing in the moment. Right. It's always the day, morning, lifetime, marriage, kids, after that we're like, what was I thinking? And so left to ourselves, we will destroy ourselves. And so Jesus says, and, and if, if you don't, your end game is like you become a selfish, self-indulgent, egotistical person. And so here's, here's what I know. We all love to be the recipient of someone who puts our needs ahead of theirs. And when we learn to deny ourselves, we get to become those people 
We all want to work for that person, our kids to be friends with that person, marry that person. We want to date the person who puts somebody else's needs before. And so as you learn to allow to trust God, also denying yourself and preferring and loving others becomes the secondary byproduct of allowing God's love to flow through you, which is ultimately what we want as a follower of Jesus. And so how I do this is I start making room for God and I start being honest with my desires. And so Jesus says, um, hey, if you want to be my follower, you have to start getting used to being honest with yourself and denying yourself. But he's not just saying be empty. He's saying, I'm going to fill you with something better. And then he says this next thing. And I have a really quick video that's going to clear it up. The second thing he says is after you deny yourself, then you take up your cross daily. Now, in our culture, that word take up your cross kind of means like a burden to bear, like, oh, my, you know, my, my stepkids are a cross to bear, or this job I don't like. But in Jesus's day, that only had one meaning and one connotation and one only. And so I want to show you this to show you what Jesus really meant when he said, take up my cross daily. What did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross and follow me? Let's begin with what Jesus didn't mean. Many people interpret cross as some burden they must carry in their lives, a strained relationship, a thankless job, a physical illness. With self-pitying pride, they say, that's my cross I have to carry. Such an interpretation is not what Jesus meant when he said, take up your cross and follow me. When Jesus carried his cross up Golgotha to be crucified, no one was thinking of the cross as symbolic of a burden to carry. To a person in the first century, the cross meant one thing and one thing only, death by the most painful and humiliating means human beings could develop. 2,000 years later, Christians view the cross as a cherished symbol of atonement, forgiveness, grace, and love. But in Jesus' day, the cross represented nothing but torturous death. Because the Romans forced convicted criminals to carry their own crosses to the place of crucifixion, bearing a cross meant carrying their own execution device while facing ridicule along the way to death. Therefore, take up your cross and follow me means being willing to die in order to follow Jesus. This is called dying to self. It's a call to absolute surrender. After each time Jesus commanded cross-bearing, he said, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet lose or forfeit his very self? Although the call is tough, the reward is matchless. So when Jesus says, take up your cross daily, it's kind of part two to denying yourself. It's this regular, and he wanted us to know it's not a religious duty, it's not a one-time thing, but daily, I go, I am willing to humble myself, admit my humanness, my need for a savior, my brokenness, and go, I on my own can't produce anything close to what God can produce in my life. So therefore, I choose to die to myself while I want to eat the ice cream, while I want to sleep in, while I want to yell at my neighbors. I've been at least introduced the idea that there might be a better way. And so I'm going to deny myself and create room that that part of me would die so the Jesus parts, the lit up parts, the, the transforming parts could live. And if you do that long enough, you start to understand the benefits of discipline. Again, you see this in other areas of your life, whether it's financial discipline, physical di discipline, working out diet, uh, relational, like the, you, the longer walk you take in the right direction, the easier it gets to keep walking, right? It's the same spiritually. It's like, oh, I, it, that's why following Jesus is like, there's this power at the beginning. It's radical. It's like, I'm so motivated because you need that power because to just all of a sudden die to yourself is so unnatural. Which, by the way, if this is new to you and you're like, this sounds crazy, Jesus said it would say crazy. He said, this is actually foolishness to a world that doesn't want to hear it. 
And so, but his invitation is deny yourself and take up your cross daily. It's, we talk all the time about daily dying to myself, my willingness to allow God what God wants in my life versus what I want. My, my willingness to say, I wanted to be the best at preferring others versus just getting what I want. This will make me a better boss. It will make me a better dad. It will make me a better friend. It will make me a better husband. Uh, it might not make me more money. It might not make me a better fisherman or a golfer. But at some point, I have to figure out which is the most important thing. It may, it may come at the cost. And so the question isn't, isn't um, you need to be ready to die, but is it, are you willing to give up absolutely anything to follow Jesus? Because as you read the stories, he asks people to give up hard things. Now, he's never going to ask you to give up something in which he's not going to reward you so much more on the other side. And that's the appeal is like he's trying to help us understand, guys, the world is not as awesome as you think. And I have so much more. I say it almost every week. Whatever you have in mind for you isn't anything compared to what God has in mind for you if you'll trust him with your life. And then the last thing he says is take up your cross. And then he says, and then actually follow me. Follow me. This is, this is actually saying, he's like, if you'd like to be my follower, okay. Then he's literally saying, let's go. I mean, again, you're in the crowd and you're fishing with your dad or you're a tax collector or you help your mom at home and all of a sudden this disciple says, hey, by the way, if anybody wants to be my follower, you're like, what? He's like, with these two things, then he says, follow me. It's the acceptance you never got anywhere else. And it's the invitation to go, I believe that with my help, Jesus would say, you have what it takes to be like me and do what I created you to do. It's the most freeing, liberating, and it means that he's looking at you through a very different value lens and potential lens and a very different lens than the rest of the world who's told you what you can't do. He's like, no, no, no. I, with man, nothing is possible. With God, all things are possible. But if I deny myself a little bit, it means a lot of me, a little bit of God. If I deny myself a lot of bit, that means a little bit of me and a lot of bit of God. And this is a constant, ongoing thing, but this is the invitation. He's saying, the invitation is for everybody. The arms are open. But you do have to be willing to deny yourself. You have to be willing to walk a path that the world may not understand and may not agree with, but I promise you it will be worth it. It means lordship. It's literally the decision who's in charge of my life. Am I calling the shots or is God calling the shots? In every arena, in every area. It's not picking and choosing things I like about Jesus and wow, that's, see, that's old school too. Intense. No, no, it's all of it. Generosity, selflessness, forgiveness, all of those things. His commands, his instructions, his way to live. Because in another portion in John chapter 14, he was bold enough to say it this way. He's like, in case you're unclear, you think there's a lot of different ways. He's like, if you're looking for the best way, he says, I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And I can't help but think maybe there's some people watching or listening this weekend that you've kind of been trying to do it your own way. And really what you've been missing is to move yourself aside and allow God to do the thing you've ultimately been trying to do your whole life. And the question I have for you is, do you want your best or do you want his best in your life? Because if you rely on yourself, you'll get your best. But if you rely on him and make room for him, you will get God's best. And my best is nothing compared to what God can do. So who's in control? And ultimately, from that sin nature, those temptations, that some of its addiction and all that stuff, guess what Jesus brings with that? Freedom, healing, forgiveness, but absolute freedom, absolute healing, absolute forgiveness exists in absolute surrender. We can't have it both ways. It's gotta be all him or not. And so my question for us is, are you following Jesus? Are you really taking up your cross daily and following him? Or are you doing the hybrid version? I pick what I like, I do my own thing. 
Maybe you're just a fan of Jesus. I cheer him on, but I'm not really. Maybe you're neither. Maybe you're just searching. You're like, I'm just inquiring. I think this would be a good series to join us for. Watch the first one first, though. Where are you at? Maybe you said a prayer. Maybe for some of us, it's an opportunity to say, I need to get off the, the fan, the sideline, and start following Jesus. For some of you, it's like, I got more questions. We would love to continue to, to walk you, not just through the services, to meet with you. But the invitation to Jesus is, is it's for everyone. But you have to deny yourself and take up your cross daily. And if you do, you will experience God's best, his healing and his freedom in your life. And oh, by the way, Jesus went on to say a couple chapters later something that's really, really kind of exciting for me as somebody who I can't just help myself just and go, well, what's in it for me other than like his best? He does say this. He's like, also, there's a couple things to look forward to. He says, one time he was telling everybody how hard it is. Peter's like, we did it. We do it. We left it. We follow you. And so Jesus says, here's what you can expect. He says, truly, I tell you, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel no one who's left that will fail to receive a hundred times the reward as much as they gave up in the age, in this age and in the eternal life. Jesus is saying, whatever you feel like is a hard sacrifice to make, I have a hundred time reward for you when you get to be with me in eternity. That's pretty compelling as well. He didn't have to do that. Dying for my sins was good enough for me. But Jesus is like a bonus God. So he's like, how about the sins and the hundredfold? I'm like, yes. And so, is there an, are there areas of your life that you've been holding on to? Maybe your whole life, or maybe just areas that you have not died to yourself, and you've been, I've been calling the shots, and this weekend, hearing this message is, is an invitation or a loving reminder to go, man, you know what? I need to move a little bit more out of the way so that Jesus can sit on the throne. I don't want my best. I want his best. I don't want what I can come up with. I want what he can come up with. And if you've never invited him in your life, Every weekend, we love to invite people to just say a prayer in your heart and say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord. I want to follow you. The, the Bible says when you do that, you, he comes in and he begins this journey. If that's you, you have, there's a text code you can text, and we just want to send you some videos, and we want to connect with you. Um, uh, it, it'll be up on the screen above me, uh, just Cape C, and, and we want to help walk you through this journey as well as be here throughout the week. There it is, uh, Cape Yes to 94, uh, it's Cape Yes to 94,000. For the rest of us, I just want to pray. And I hope that you go away with this going, man, is there an area of my life or all the areas of my life where I need to deny myself so that I can experience all that God has for me? His invitation is to follow you and he thinks you can be like him if you give him access to your life. I hope you will because the, the reward and the ride is worth it. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for the invitation to all in a, in a world that continues to exclude, you include. God, we are not a people that want what we are best capable of producing, but we want your best in our lives. We know that ultimate healing and, and, and freedom comes in ultimate surrender. And so God, for anybody here, I pray that you would just help us to honestly evaluate where we're at in our hearts and in our lives so that we can step aside, deny ourselves. God, for anybody who has areas that is so hard to let go of temptations and lusts and just bad habits in a past, God, would you break through in their life? Would they experience the power of your Holy Spirit and they would experience freedom as they give you permission to enter that part of their life, even if they've tried before. God, I believe now is the time for freedom and healing and restoration. And God, I pray that when we walk out of here, we walk, go into our week, we wouldn't just, this wouldn't be another message we hear, but that it would resonate in our heart. And as we get into your word and we spend time with you, that you would fill us with you so that we, like Paul could say, it's no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and agree. Amen.